0: In accordance with Section 11 of the Constitution Act 1986, administer to members of Parliament the oath or affirmation of allegiance to Her Majesty the Queen, required to be taken or made by every such member before that member shall be permitted to sit or vote in the House of Representatives.
1: I had Just no idea what no, I was walking into and I don't think that anybody who starts as a neuro MP can really understand the world into which you're embarking. Like, there's just no way.
2: I quickly realised it was a very <laughs> precious environment. There was massive scrutiny from the media on everything that happened.
1: And it is hard knowing that the Public,
2: people that large, and even people you're what quite close to, you've got no idea order, what you're going to. That, that is difficult. And it's a very intense environment, <laughs> more so than what I've sort of After experienced before.
0: The oath or making the affirmation, would members please take their parchment and go round the Hansard table to the right to the deputy clerk to sign your parchment with one of the pens provided? Kia ora, I'm Alexia Russell, and today on The Detail, the life of a backbench MP. Some of them slip quietly into the back of Parliament's debating chamber, head down, doing the mahi, and some of them
2: don't. I was effectively a, a bully, and I was, I was a mean person. A political career was banished to the wilderness. Labor has expelled MP Gaurav Sharma from its caucus. He's now an independent MP.
0: Why is it that two National MPs have now supported these protests?
2: I don't uh, agree with your characterisation of supporting them. How did uh, you
0: them? Went, to, went to one and more Purrier just? Thank them for
1: being Yeah, both have apologised
2: for that.
0: Sue Bradford and Lawrence Yule are two former MPs from very different sides of the House but it's surprising how much they have in common. Bradford, the social activist who swept in on a Green Party wave in 1999 and lasted a decade, getting three
1: members bills passed. I never expected to become an MP. Some of you may remember the run up to the 1999 election when Nandor Tanzosh and I we're on the receiving end of some fairly vicious attacks. I will never forget Helen Clark standing up publicly for me at that time in the media, nor the Green Party for having the courage to support both Nandor and I into high places on the party list, despite our backgrounds in radical and street politics and lots of criminal convictions in my case.
0: And Nationals Yule, who served one term in opposition before being swept out in 2020's Red Wave.
2: We've all come here to make a difference to a positive New Zealand. While I've been a Mayor of Hastings, President of Local Government New Zealand and Chair of the Commonwealth Local Government Forum, I start this new journey with great optimism for both a change in the environment and for New Zealand. Uh, It's it's very different to anything I've been involved in before. And it's very, uh, people say it's a bit like a fishbowl um, in, in the sense that Parliament can actually sort of function. You, you can work a whole day in Parliament without leaving the precinct and basically everything is there for you. So you can eat, you know, uh, drink. You can go to the gym. There's a swimming pool there. You don't actually need the, to, to leave the place. And as such, it, it's very easy to get almost disconnected uh, from the rest of New Zealand. Uh, and, you know, because the the press galleries there... Um, Very it's very centred on what happens in that immediate environment and then the messages get go out from that. So it is yeah, you you go in there and you sort of get caught up in the in in the place really.
1: So of course coming from a new and very minor party, um I guess my expectations may not have been as high as people coming in from, from Labour or National, for example.
0: What was it like on that day, day one when you walked into Parliament?
1: Oh, very exciting. I was in that 1999 first Green Party group. We really hadn't been expecting to make it into Parliament. We'd had a number of days when we were just waiting to hear whether we'd got over the 5% or whether Jeanette had one Coromandel. We achieved both. We ended up with 7 P. So it was all very new. Um, everybody else was already established in Parliament. We had to have our own special training session from Parliamentary Services because everyone else was already done. So it was like we came we came in late and had to learn really fast. The Speaker ran a special session for us in the House show us how it all worked. Um, Rod Donald asked me immediately to go on to the Employment Relations and ACC Select Committee, which was the hugest piece of parliamentary work that happened almost um, directly after Labour was elected. So I was suddenly found myself in the forefront of this very intense select committee um, where very, uh, you know, huge legislation in front of us and having to deal with highly significant matters in relation to the to trade unions, employers and ACC. It was quite an experience.
2: When you're a mayor, um, you're in your community every day, generally. Now, I, because I was president of local government, New Zealand, I had a lot of interaction with Parliament as well. But it was visits—you know, you'd go there and you'd have meetings and spend time there and leave. But when you're an MP, the people you're representing are actually physically remote from where you're operating um, in Wellington, and so that is that is the difference. And everybody from across New Zealand comes into that place uh, for three days a week. Uh, when the House is sitting, and it's a very intense environment, um, more so than what I'd sort of experienced before. It was a huge privilege to be a Member of Parliament, don't get me wrong, and, and I enjoyed it, but but it is very different.
0: And did it live up to your expectations, the um, entering as a backbencher in that intake of 2017?
2: Uh, yes, it did, because I had um, deliberately sort of reset my expectations I mean when you're a, a mayor and I had been for for quite some considerable time and I've been president of local government New Zealand you know I, I had a lot of say on a lot of things uh, but I knew that when I went in as a backbencher um, largely you know I was at the bottom of the heap and that uh, particularly with a surname that began with Y so when you go in <laughs> you know you allocate allocated alphabetical so you know I was right at the bottom uh, so I just said about learning how that that system worked. Um, I quickly realised it was a very pressured environment. Uh, There was a massive scrutiny from the media on everything that happened. And in opposition, your critical role is largely to find fault with the government, particularly in the first two years of an electoral cycle. In the last year, you, you know, you came up with some policy. But that's really, that was a motivating factor to hold the government to account. I actually believe being a backbench MP in opposition is actually more satisfying than being a backbench MP in government uh, because a backbench MP in government really has no say about anything uh, because the ministers and the executive are controlling the narrative, controlling what happens, the policy, and largely backbench MPs in government really just fill in the numbers.
0: So you have more freedom?
2: Yes, correct.
0: How did you know to reset your expectations? Who was briefing you or giving you advice?
2: Uh, well, I, I, we, before I got into this, uh, I'd sort of done a bit of due diligence and I'd seen others who had found it really difficult. And I, the, the National Party, when I talked to the likes of Stephen Joyce, Paula Bennett, who gave me advice on this, said that a number had found it really difficult. Um, Mark Blumsky was one. John O'Neill was another who had come from mayors and didn't really find it that easy. They found the adjustment uh, significant. So I worked out that really, if, if I wanted to go and make a contribution, and I left them Errolty and Hastings believing that I could make a contribution at a national level to some significant policy issues and things we needed as a region, the likes of we need a new hospital, Those sort of things I could never really do as the mayor, but I figured I could make an influence in Wellington. So I reset my expectations. But I'd also listen to people who said, you know, this is a very different environment. You've got to learn the ropes. You've got to earn your stripes and it takes time. So I had expectations and that were reset for me and I was fine with them.
1: Because I'd come from the unemployed workers' movement, and had been there for most of the last, the previous 16 years, that had been a very tough political environment in a very different way from Parliament. Um, so I entered Parliament very cautiously, knowing that I would have to learn. And I have to admit that over the years, mostly, um, I think that the unemployed movement had been a much harder place to be than Parliament, but in a very different way. Um I always thought of Parliament as, as living and working um among crocodiles where you have where you have the smiling faces, but you never know what's underneath the surface, so you're always looking to find those people that you can trust both inside your own party inside your own caucus and outside and i, I did find people right like there across all parties actually um and but um also at the same time being extremely wary um Of everything and everybody, (laughs) right through the whole 10 years that I was there. Bradford and Yule both had a mission when
0: they arrived at Parliament. Bradford to take her social justice issues to another level.
1: I really, really wanted to make some changes,
0: small or large. And Yule to battle for the people of Hawke's Bay. But they say not every newbie has that motivation.
1: I saw MPs from across the House who I don't think should ever have been in Parliament. People who didn't know why they were there, who didn't have a lot or any policy background or issue background. People who were just there, I think, for the money or for... I don't i do not really know why, or for the, for the mana, perhaps. People who had no competence at all to be MPs. People who just basically were asleep on the job. And I couldn't believe how some parties, including my own, allowed... Um, some people like that to come through the selection processes. It's very intense inside the place, both inside your own caucus and party uh, and intense inside the parliament itself in a way that I don't think any, you know, no, people don't understand. It's a massive learning curve. And so it requires to become an MP, you really need people that can cope with that shift from whatever their, you know, their life was before. And I think that's part of the problem with that party selection process, including the Green Parties in the past. Have not really been up to thinking through actually what are the qualities that you need in an MP that are different from people becoming a lawyer or a farmer or a community worker or a social worker. I mean, there's a or a factory worker or a Mm. trade union organizer because the qualities that you need in parliament, you know, you bring them from from your life experience and your education and everything else. Parties, it's clear, need to be more onto it about. About being thinking that through, and I think being really clear with the people who want to become MPs and your parties about what the job really involves, and having some honesty from the high achieving sitting MPs about what being a good MP is really about um and, and another thing is that when people the kind of people who want to become MPs tend to be ambitious, of course, you know that they tend you know to have some confidence in themselves. <laughs> Yes. Um, justified or not because if you don't have that, that confidence you're not going to push yourself through your own party's processes which are often pretty burdensome even, even in the Greens mm-hmm. it's not that easy mm-hmm. um, and you have to have that push and so that very push and for some people that means that they are those they have that kind of lack of humility um, that arrogance that they've got this capacity which in fact they don't have or that they're in their own working life that they've been at the top of a hierarchy And then suddenly they find themselves at the bottom of a hierarchy because as a new MP, that's where you are. You're right at the bottom. And that can be hard when you're someone that's been in a leading role um, at the top of an organisation or business. Do you think there are a sort of bunch of people out
0: there who are currently backbenchers maybe who, who didn't have that same purpose or vision? Are there people who basically just look good on a billboard and they don't really have a purpose there?
2: I think there are some people like that. I think there are some people that would just like to be an MP and like uh, the politics for politics' sake. Um, in my view, those people quickly get undone. Uh, it, it's a very difficult uh, environment to work in. It's long hours, hard work, incredibly competitive, because ultimately if you know a party's in government, And if they happen to govern alone, they have 20-odd ministers and four ministers outside cabinet and a speaker, so there's 25 slots of any seniority. If there's a coalition government, uh, then those ministerial roles are split up. So if if you're not thinking you're actually eventually going to get into one of those slots and and you just want to be an MP, then that's not much of an existence. And particularly if you go into parliament without wanting to do some things So I, I, you know, left the mayoralty after I'd been re-elected and caused a by-election. And that was a big call for me to make. But I figured that the things I wanted to help Hawke's Bay with, I couldn't actually do any more about uh, as the mayor. And so I, I set about trying to do things in Parliament to bring more resources to the region. Others have, you know, tried to change legislation, whether it was homosexual law reform in history or you know David Seymour's euthanasia bill. Or, you've got to have a purpose. If you haven't got a purpose for going there and you just want to go to be an MP because you like the politics, I think you'll quickly be undone.
1: And it will be what I go down in history for, whether I like it or not. <laughs> Sue Bradford has left Parliament with an
0: enviable record for an opposition MP, seeing the passage of three bills through the House. The senior Labour MP, Trevor Mallard, says Ms Bradford was able to withstand an incredible amount of animosity over the anti-smacking reforms.
2: It's not easy, but I think it's made easier for people like Sue by knowing the things that she's doing are really important and she's making a difference.
0: Did you come in with a mission, Sue?
1: Yes. (laughs) I sure did. <laughs> I'd spent my life um, since I was very young uh, in street militant, street politics and parties. I've been arrested many, many times. I've been involved in many campaigns, I'm deeply involved with working with unimportant beneficiaries. So, above all, I came in with a mission to give a voice as strongly as I could in Parliament for those who had the least voice in the places of power that is, unemployed people, beneficiaries, low wage workers, mothers. With young children and children themselves, and, and also actually people with mental illness and the families of those with mental illness. Um, really, I was on a mission from all those places.
2: So I did get a brand new hospital. was going to be built in um, 2024, and I had a commitment to that, uh, as well as $300 million worth of roading upgrades. So I, I'd, in my view, had done a really good job in three years of getting a commitment from a party as a backbench MP, for about $750 million worth of capital expenditure, which in history is the largest ever level of investment. So I measure my success, even though you know, the electorate chose to take me out of office, I measured my successes, that i had achieved significant opportunity for the region uh, if National had been in power.
1: You know, my working community had taught me a lot about action reflection, and that everything that you do, you need to learn from the mistakes you make, you always make mistakes. So all the time through Parliament I applied the same principles that I use in community development work which is to learn from what you've done how what you did well what you didn't to work with others to analyze that and to try and do better next time and that also helps you stay focused on the main goals so both personally and, and with others that I trusted I did that kind of reflection I always had a small ad hoc group of people outside Parliament. Um, who I said before I went in, there, please let me know if I ever if I ever sell out the people that I came into Parliament to receive all all the planet, the earth itself. Um, can you let me know because then it will be time for me to go. I do not want to stay in that place if I'm not if I don't remain true to the principles in the cohaber that I came in on.
2: I can think of people that that I saw had tensions, and constantly had you know staff turnover, and that was more about their style and manner. I've heard stand-up rows in other parts of the Parliament.
1: Staying alert and having um, what you you might call emotional intelligence, I think, is is one of the key advantages for those that do have those people skills. Mm. Um, But there's so many different skills that you need. I mean, this whole problem around um, MPs suddenly finding themselves as managers or employers, which has come out uh, very much with the recent Sharma affair.
0: But could so you just here. answer me that question? How many staff have quit your office since you've been an MP, Dr uh,
1: Sharma? Since I have been an MP, uh, you know, staff come and go. Most people have left because I have. we have had uh, short-term contracts which have finished and we have not continued the contract. Uh, other people have left because they found How a better job. How many? Just a number? You can see that across Parliament with yes, some people like myself, come out of backgrounds where we've had a lot to do with managing or um, coordinating groups, employing people in whatever environment, in the community, public or private sector. But some people come into Parliament with no experience or little experience of that at all or come from an environment where they've been very much the boss and don't have people over them. And and for those people, you can see them really struggling with, with employment matters. And I do feel sorry for staff at times, very sorry for staff, How how heavily do you rely on those staff? um, If you've got any sense, you rely on them hugely. (laughs) (laughs) But um, these are actually really valuable people. And I learnt very quickly that having a good executive assistant would make all the difference in how much I could achieve. Um, And a good EA when you're an MP just makes all the difference, even when you are just a backbench MP and not a cabinet minister or anything like that. You know what else is
0: stressful if you're not at the top of the pile? Falling polls.
2: If the polls drop, you know, and for national, if the polls drop under 30%, a whole lot of people are then at risk and it it sends a sort of behavioural, they say, well, what do we need to do to preserve our position? And it's quite hard for the the party to manage. And I think that's what you're seeing largely with Labour now in that um, Labour has lost significant support. Uh, from where it was in the 2020 election. And there's probably 20-odd MPs in Labor now that are incredibly vulnerable on the current polling. So they start looking at where they sit and what their own position is. Um, and the, the the sense of discipline, um, you know, sort of goes out the window. And it's harder for the party to manage that. And I think you've seen that um, in, you know, the last week's events. On the other side, when you've got a very small corpus like National has got at the moment um, and the polls are going up, there is an absolute incentive for discipline and to make sure that everything is done, you know, to preserve that gain and to make sure those polls stay where they are. So success breeds a discipline and concern about loss of power, you know, generally dramatically erodes it.
0: Would you have any advice for others who come, in, who come in fresh, walk in those doors fresh?
1: Yeah, do take that deep breath. Um, do I think most parties give this kind of advice. I mean, our one one of the staff members on, in our first week there said, while you're in NP, please don't get drunk in public. Don't uh, have affairs with people, like that sort of thing, like really basic stuff. Mm. Like it's really important to think about how you act. I mean, I never, as far as I can remember, ever got drunk or danced in public through that whole ten years, which is quite hard. It's quite a, it's, it's quite, a, you know, just simply not to be able to relax in public is quite a hard thing to do. You know, I just think there's, you're having some integrity um, and coherence between your public and private life, and, and trying to keep your private life private that's quite important as well. Um, really knowing what you're there for. And if you haven't worked it out by the time you've got to Parliament, if you don't know that when you step through the doors, then try and work it out quite quickly afterwards. Um, Because if you don't know why you're there, I think you're the sort of MP that ends up sleeping through the select committee meetings, Mm. which is not
2: good. It's tremendous honour and privilege to be a Member of Parliament. And uh, you have to be humble, though, you're only there because the people have put you there either nationally and as a list MP or particularly as an electorate MP. And you can only stay there while you're doing a good job and they, they think you're doing a good job. So, you know, try not to muck it up um, by, by managing your expectations.
1: I, I think of it as humility, to have this understanding that when you come in, you may never get very far. You may never make it to anywhere in, pal- in your party or in, in the Parliament, you may always be a backbencher, you may always be in this low position. And if you aren't, as I was, and if you're in that role, then just have to make the most of what you can do. And there's a lot, there's an awful lot you can do.
2: Sometimes I look at some of the behaviours of what people do uh, who end up, you know, sort of in some form of disgrace and leave. And I, and I look, you just throw that away.
1: A lot of people I think stay on in Parliament and they shouldn't. You know, I see people like some of the current people who are having problems, um, who I think that if I was them, I would just um, resign, go, and then start to build your life again outside. Mm. I mean, once you've you've lost it in there, you should just leave. But it's incredible to see how people cling on to that place when they should be long gone. That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The detail is
0: public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Flo Wilson and produced by Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Lawrence Yule and Sue Bradford. Mā